about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the name of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Good evening, friends. It is good to be with you. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. If you're new or visiting, happy to have you here this evening. We're beginning a a bit of a new series in the run-up to Christmas, looking at 
uh, Advent and at the stories of Jesus' birth in the book of Luke in particular. A, ho- a thrill of hope is the banner we're putting above everything Christmassy this yeah, and I think the, I don't know what you want to call her, the prophet, the seer, the front runner of Christmas in our age, Mariah Carey, of course, often has it right. Christmas is about what you want, all that you want, all that you long for, all you wait for and anticipate at the end of the year. Christmas is about wanting and longing and waiting. That's what it's always been about. That's what it's always been about in the Christian tradition. This period of Advent is about waiting for the Lord and learning to wait well and learning what we should actually be waiting for and what's worth waiting for and what isn't. It's a time for re- refining the loves and longings and wants and waitings of our hearts toward the ultimate things of God. So my question for you as we start is this. What are you waiting for? on the cusp of the horizon of your imagination? What is the landmark, the destination, the person, the thing that you're really longing to happen? Your new job or the end of this pandemic or just the end of the year you're limping along to something or the end of a relationship or the beginning of a new one or a redemption of an old one or the moving of a house or the acquiring of a thing. Friend, what are you waiting for? What we wait for reveals a lot of what we love. And it's worth in his advent examining what is there for us and why it is there. And perhaps what maybe could be there instead. We have this strange relationship with waiting in our culture. On one level, we're trying, we have a war against waiting. We can't stand a page that takes five seconds to upload. Every time I call a call center, I'm apologized to for that they took too long and they're always apologetic about wasting my time. And yet we've been forced into this time of waiting this year, again and again. What do we do? How do we wait well? What do we wait for? That's what Advent, these questions are for Advent. And the passage we have today is not one of the classic Christmas texts, but it is the way that Luke starts his biography of the life of Jesus. And in a lot of ways, this passage is perfect for thinking about waiting. Elizabeth and Zachariah in the story have been waiting their whole lives. And the news of Christmas cuts in on their waiting. And we get to see what happens. So we've got four things today about what to wait for and what's worth waiting for. And the first one is this. Christmas offers us something substantial and perhaps even certain, Luke says, to wait for, to hope in, to long for, to love. In this first little bit of the passage today, it's the kind of intro paragraph. It's the method statement of the, you know, the psychology paper Here's what we're doing, and here's why we're doing it, and here's how we're going to make it happen. And Luke, who wrote this, is writing to the most excellent Theophilus, a biography of Jesus, and he's doing it so that Theophilus may know the certainty of the things he's been taught about Jesus. It's a strong word, isn't it? Certainty. Not just, you know, that you might feel a bit more confident in. 
It's more final than that, isn't it? That you might be utterly convinced of what has happened in Jesus. Perhaps it's strong, but friend, isn't this what we want right now? After a year of waiting on things that never eventuate or get extended or postponed or never happen, isn't it better than the kind of half dreams we have for our own lives that seem that like they're never going to come? Don't you want to wait for something that's real? Well, how, how, how can he say this? How do we know it's certain? What's happened? Well, he tells us more. These are the things that have been fulfilled among us, which is an interesting word, fulfilled. He doesn't talk about Jesus as just a beginning, but as kind of an ending, as a culmination. Jesus is the answer to a lot of questions. He's the end of one arcing rainbow and the beginning of another. In Jesus, the promises of God are substantially and finally and beautifully and wonderfully answered, fulfilled, completed, brought to their great crescendo. In the person of Jesus, God has acted as he says he will, as he says he would, finally, in a way we can find substantial and certain. But how do we know that this actually happened? Well, well Luke goes on and says, well, this is, what I, this is how I'm kind of pulled this story together. I went back to the eyewitnesses who from the beginning handed down their stories to us. And I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I lined it all up. I, I went back to the sources. I saw how it all fit together. And I put together an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, which is a great name. Here we have his method. He's gone back. He's checked. He's investigated. He's laid it out. This is not the stuff of make-believe. The Christmas story is not a fable. It's not a nursery rhyme. It's not a good idea. It's not just a cute retelling of something that we know nothing about. It was seen. Then it was investigated. It's been laid out. That's why when we hear what we're about to hear and what we'll hear in the weeks to come, we can go, actually, this is real. This is substantial. In this, I see God himself acting, and people actually saw it. Here is something worth waiting for, trusting in, longing for. But why does it actually matter to us? Well, the thing I, that I love about this story is you start with this wonderful couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And that's just so ordinary. Now, the Christmas story doesn't arrive to made-up people in a faraway place. It arrives with people who are normal, with struggles and difficulties of, a, of their own, people who are waiting and longing for something to change. See, friends... We're all waiting for something. We're all longing for something to shift and change in ourselves, in our relationships, in our world. The Christmas story arrives for people like us. And it wants to speak into those longings and disappointments that we have. 
Let's look at Elizabeth and Zechariah. Here's what we read in Luke 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. These are two of, of the lineage of priests who have a special responsibility in the temple to do temple things. They're set apart for that purpose of the things of God. They both belong to that. And they graded it. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Like, can you get any better? These, these sound like great people who you have over for dinner. They sound lovely, right? But they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Doesn't it just feel real? This beautiful couple who just wanted to have kids and they couldn't. Who their whole married life, which would have been long, because you married young and now they're very old, for many, many years praying for a child and it never came. And at the end of their lives, they're just kind of content with this sense of absence. A sense of something that could be but isn't. A sense of disappointment, maybe, that's grown into kind of a dull ache over the years. And to add worse to it, Elizabeth says at the end that the feeling she felt with this on her was disgrace among the people. In the first century, to not have children was to have a question mark above your head. Because the Lord gave children. So if you didn't have one, you mightn't be the type of person that the Lord likes. And you may not be a righteous person at all. That's why Luke actually is a bit painstaking maybe to point it out. But these were great people. And so they lived disappointed, questioning and waiting with this air of disgrace around them. I love this because it can stand in for us in so many ways. All of us are waiting. All of us has this sense of dissonance of the things we hoped we'd have by now but don't have. About the longings we have for a life that we feel like mightn't turn up now. About the sense of things and people that we've lost. That will never come back. Waiting and hurt and longing. Feeling a bit uncomfortable and disgraced with ourselves and what we've done and the people around us. You know, in the story, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they stand in not only for themselves and, and for other people in the same situation, but for all of Israel. You know, as Zechariah enters the temple to pray, everyone's praying with him, it says in the text, because all of Israel is disgraced under Roman rule, waiting for God to finally do something, to change something, to alter the way things are. Things are not as they should be. And they're longing for God to answer. Just as the whole of creation feels like there's something wrong here. God, you have to act and change things. Waiting and longing. This is the, the feeling that Christmas enters into. Into the deep aches and wounds of humanity and fragility and pain and loss. And into it comes the angel Gabriel. 
to Zechariah as he's in the temple, which would have been absolutely terrifying. He's afraid. Gabriel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're going to call him John, and he's going to be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. In this longing couple comes a word of joyous beginning of the overturning of a sad thing of the beginning of a new one their prayers being heard there's a god who listens and he is answering in giving a son but this son's not just a joy to them this son is a joy for everyone this son will be great in the sight of the lord and gabriel goes on he'll be filled with the holy spirit from birth He'll bring people back to God. He'll be like the powerful prophet Elijah. He'll turn parents back to children. He'll knit relationships back together. He'll make people wise who weren't. He'll prepare people for God because God is coming. You see, in the answer to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer is the answer to every one of Israel's prayers, is the answer to all of our prayers and longings and waitings. For those absences and problems and difficulties that we feel, for God to come and do something. Christmas is God ending our waiting with his glorious answer. That he will enter the world and make it new. We find in this answer, our answer, that God is doing something wondrous in the person of Jesus. That's so unbelievable. I'm sitting up here talking like this in a world in a pandemic full of hatred and division and torn apart by all kinds of things. It doesn't even really feel believable. You know, as we come to the Christmas message and as we hear Gabriel, I think we're, we're all kind of, we have this mix of belief and unbelief. At least that's exactly what Zachariah did. Did you, did you catch what happened? When, the, when Gabriel finishes what he asks, oh, great, this is such good news. I'm so excited. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, Zechariah, he should know better. He's a priest. He hangs out with God all day. He's near lots of holy things, right? He knows the Old Testament. He knows that there are actually cases of ancient Israelites who in their old age had children, multiple of them through the whole of the scriptures. He knows God. He knows the stories. He's an obedient Israelite, but he cannot believe this. In one hand, he has the promise from Gabriel. In the other hand, he's looking at his old body. I mean, this is like your grandparents hearing that they will have a child. This is absurd and insane. And Zachariah just can't believe it. I I, I love this honest moment because it reminds me that all of us are really like this when it comes to Christmas. To the things of God. 
All of us are this weird mixture of belief and unbelief. Of, yeah, I think God can do that. And, oh man, really? Really? I haven't seen anything recently that would tell me that's true. I love that in a book that Luke is writing to make people certain, the first character he introduces doesn't believe it and is unsure whether it could actually happen. Opening this wonderful space for us to doubt, to be unsure, to kind of get it and kind of not get it as well. And I wonder whether with Christmas in particular, actually... We haven't grasped how crazy and wonderful and big and impossible it is until we just doubt it a little. Because if we have become so accustomed to God's entry into the world that we think it's just normal, then we've lost the wonder of it. Because what God fulfills in Jesus is so big and wonderful and mighty, and extraordinary. That if you're doubting tonight, fair enough. Perhaps you are closer to experiencing the wonder of it than you expected. But what's Zachariah supposed to do with this mixture of belief and unbelief inside him? I mean, we often think, well, you know, if I was just at the scenes when it happened, then I'd believe because I'd see it happening. But Zechariah is there watching it happen, and that's not true for him. Being there watching it happen isn't enough. What is enough? It's the grace of God. The grace of God that's worth waiting for. The grace of God in his word of the gospel. That is the thing that actually convinces our heart of whether this is certain and true or not. It's what Gabriel does to Zechariah. I love what happens next, because Gabriel just pulls rank. I'm Gabriel, he says. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Literally, I've been sent to evangelize you. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Gabriel literally shuts him up. And he stays that way for the whole pregnancy. Can you imagine being silent for nine to ten months in the most wondrous period of your entire life? Now, it might feel like Gabriel is punishing him. And I think that there's a discipline happening, but not punishing, because I think this is a grace. What does Gabriel answer his doubt with? He literally shuts him up with the good news for nine months. He's proclaimed to him a wondrous good thing that God is doing. And he gives him nine to ten months to stew on it to let it sift around in his heart and his mind. Do you know what the first thing that Zechariah does when his mouth is opened in Luke's account? He breaks into song. He sings over his child, proclaiming the wonders of God. Because having been shut up with the word of God's grace, 
it becomes sweet to his heart till it makes it sing. And friend, if there is anything that you could do this Christmas to help your heart take hold of the certainty of these things, it would be to shut yourself up with the word of grace. That's exactly what Elizabeth calls this in the end, which is why I'm using that phrase. Because when his time of service was completed, he returned home and after this, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. See, when this happens to Elizabeth and, and, and she feels it happening in her body, this wondrous thing, she doesn't say, oh, God's finally come through on the transaction. I've been blameless and holy my whole life and he's finally given me the, the life that I thought I deserved and he's come through for me and made it good. You know, he's kind of made it happen in the way I wanted. No. She calls it favor. Literally, it's the Lord has looked upon me. The Lord has looked over me. The Lord has turned himself toward me. In the Old Testament, that was to experience his favor, to have God's face shining on you. That in the birth of this child, she sees nothing but the goodness of mercy and grace. Because that is the beautiful beating heart of Christmas. God's wondrous, sudden, remarkable entry into the world is driven purely by grace and mercy. And if you want to catch the wonder of the impossible things, then stop and be silent, as Zachariah was. And let the word of the grace of God sit in your heart until it turns your unbelief into a song of praise. Treat Advent as a time to shut yourself up with the grace of God until it's the thing you love. Let me pray. Father, we love this story and this vision of the beginning of the wondrous entry of Jesus into the world at the herald, at the the coming of John the Baptist. And Father, we like Zechariah are hearing your word today with this mixture of belief and unbelief of, oh yeah, I'd love that, but I'm not really sure. Father, show us by your spirit. Close us up with the word of your good grace to us in Jesus today, tomorrow, in these weeks leading up to Christmas that we might savor and taste it and trust you. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.